Hey everybody, this is your host Peter Horgan and welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 49, a conversation with Elaine Elliott from the climbing media company Steep South. Elaine and I met back in November last year while I was in Chattanooga for Access Fund's annual conference and upon meeting her I knew right away that I wanted to get her on the show to chat about Steep South. For those of you who have not heard of Steep South, it's an awesome climbing media platform that has made two films entirely about the nexus between climbing and conservation. Elaine also runs a beautiful Instagram page that highlights some of the most exceptional looking climbing in the Southeast as well. The two films that they have made take a deep dive into telling the important stories of climbing conservation using Denny Cove, a crag near Chattanooga as one case study and Rumbling Bald slash the Hickory Nut Gorge in North Carolina as the other. In my opinion, these are the stories that really need to be told. We all love seeing the sexy send footage of our favorite climbers, but this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of conserving areas like Denny Cove and Rumbling Bald so people have the ability to send in the first place, right? But no need to worry, these two films definitely have some good sending footage in there for good measure. I think that these are the two of the most beautiful climbing films out there, no doubt. Maybe I'm just biased since it's focused on conservation, but between the beautiful landscapes, the local people, and just the wholesome nature of people coming together over a common cause, it's just awesome. It's just awesome and really enjoyable to watch. Despite having recently located to Salt Lake City so she can ski more and as a passionate snowboarder myself, I can't really blame her. Elaine is still very much connected to the South and looks to continue her work with Steep South. A third film could be on the horizon focusing on the Red River Gorge, so my fingers are crossed that they can make that happen. And if there's anyone out there that's interested in sponsoring the film, please give Elaine a shout. Because if another film looks anything like the first two, I know that we are all in for a really good treat. So with that, let's get into it here. Please enjoy my conversation with Elaine Elliott. Before we get into the episode, I want to give thanks and show some love for the supporters and sponsors of the show. Black Diamond, Adidas Turex, Gnarly Nutrition, Mammut, Alpine Start Coffee, and Plutone Audio. Thank you all for the continued support of the Climbing Advocate podcast and dedication to our climbing community. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, that's a question I had for you, actually. You know, I know we, we met last, or not last month, we met like two months ago in November at the Access mm-hmm. Funds Annual Conference. And I thought, yeah, just my first impression, just with your affiliation with, with Steep South, you're just like a uh, tried and true South Southeasterner. And then I saw well, yeah, over Instagram, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm moving to Salt Lake. I'm like, oh, okay. Like right yeah. on. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I like kind of struggled with that at first. Cause I was like, oh man, am I like abandoning Steep South by like moving out West? But but I don't know, like I can still like manage the account and like make films and stuff. And, and mm-hmm. I still like love climbing down there. So it's, you know, it still has a special place in my heart. <laughs> good, good. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more here in just a little bit. But yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show to to talk some more about Steep South and, and such. And, you know, after meeting you a couple months ago, I knew right away, I was like, this would be a perfect podcast guests in the future and didn't take long for that to get a uh, get arranged so i'm so excited to have you here and yeah why don't you tell why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself like where you're from you said michigan but where you're from uh currently based and your time spent in chattanooga Mm -hmm. and a little bit how you got into climbing sure yeah and and also thanks for having me as well i'm psyched um so yeah i grew up in michigan moved to the south when i was 17 and then ended up going to college at the University of Georgia. And when I was about 20, I was introduced to climbing at the local climbing gym called Active Climbing, which is awesome. If you're ever in Athens, check it out. It was Adrian, the owner, like made the gym out of an abandoned like chicken freezer. (laughs) So it's like so random, but it's like this awesome little one room gym um yeah and coming from Michigan I was like pretty naive to like climbing opportunities like I thought climbing was just kind of exclusive to like 
the Himalayas and Yosemite and like Alaska. So mm -hmm. um, I had these great climbing mentors at Active that kind of showed me a whole new world of Southern sandstone. And, you know, after those first few boulders and like single pitch routes, I just have been addicted to climbing ever since. <laughs> um, so I've been climbing for about 10 years and um, yeah. And then like, obviously as a Southeastern climber, like at some point you're probably going to move to Chattanooga. So, so I lived in Chattanooga for about four and a half years and um, yeah. And the just been nonstop climbing ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Where was your favorite place to go in Chattanooga? Um, I really like Little River Canyon, um, which is in Alabama, but still considered a Chattanooga crag. Um, it's pretty stout and like powerful sport climbing and just so much fun. Um, and then for bouldering, I don't know, either Rocktown or Stonefort. They're both a little different, so it's like hard to pick just one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the resources there are lifetimes worth right i mean there's so much rock oh, yeah. around chattanooga and just I, I you know i keep defaulting to chattanooga because it, it just kind of carries the shadow of or you know it has the shadow over every, everywhere else i feel like maybe appropriately mm -hmm. or inappropriately but yeah I, I just default to saying chattanooga so i don't want to discriminate against anything in alabama or or georgia or any other southern state there but yeah, I, sure. I, got to, I got to check out castle rock uh for a day and that was awesome a good time there and went to Stonefort and uh, the T-Wall. So oh, yes, I, yeah. yeah. Tennessee wall has like the best sport pitches in Chattanooga. Everyone thinks it's just trad, but like the sport routes, there are incredible. It's like, yeah, you definitely, if you haven't been, you got to go <laughs> for, for those listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the trad climbing there definitely overshadows the, the sport climbing. And that's all we did when we went there. Just, we got there a little late, but just got a few, a uh, few trad pitches in. So yeah, I mean, I got to check out a little bit of each thing, some, some bolt clipping at, at Castle Rock, some bouldering at Stonefort and just what a, just what a funny spot to be right off the golf course. <laughs> I don't oh, know, I get, know, right? get over that. <laughs> Yeah, the South has a lot of little quirks with like, with their boulder fields and whatnot. Cause also like, um, near Boone, um, Hound Deers is on a golf course too. So it's like this like reoccurring theme in <laughs> southeastern climbing. Cool. Yeah, I thought it was just uh, just Stonefort that was part of on the links, uh, but going into the clubhouse and just yeah, I don't know. It's just a, a funny funny scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're definitely not surrounded by like white capped mountains and like BLM land. That's for right. sure. <laughs> for sure. That's just kind of the nature of, uh, you know, the southeast or the eastern part of the U.S. that I've said 101 times in the show that, you know, private land, not public land, largely speaking. And you, you guys communicate that quite a bit in your films, which which we'll discuss at length here shortly. But uh, yeah, just kind of the nature of the beast being uh, being in the east. So yeah, you just uh, just relocated to Salt Lake. How's that been? It's good. Yeah, I've only been here for like two weeks. And I'm not sure, I don't see it being a forever home, but I just wanted to get back into like skiing and desert climbing. And um, I, get, I get bored of one place if I've been there for too long. So I kind of just like to move around. Um, so yeah, it's been good. Like the, the gyms are awesome here and like the access to the outdoors is like, it's just so close to my house. It's, it's impressive. Yeah. I mean, for a major metropolitan area, it's pretty hard to beat Salt Lake, I think. For yeah. Any especially this winter. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. God. Okay. Let's just stop talking about skiing. So you're just gonna, I don't know. It's been really, <laughs> yeah, it's been really good at Crested Butte where I live too in like South Central Colorado. It's been great here too. Which I feel bad saying because my friends in Chattanooga right now are having a rough time. It's very rainy down there. So my heart goes out to them. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone say when I was there that Chattanooga gets more rain on an annual basis than like Portland does. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like I, I even talked about that in the um, article I recently wrote for Climbing Magazine. I forget the amount of inches a year, but it was like 
a really large amount. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, at first I was like, no way. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, it, it does rain here a lot. And then I had some folks explain to me, which makes sense. It's like when it rains, it like pours just like the, the phrase, you know, but like in somewhere on like the West coast, like Portland, it's just like that or Seattle is just the constant kind of drizzle more so than yeah. just like these open downpours, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Because then, like, it might be downpouring one morning, but you might be climbing that afternoon because, like, southern sandstone just dries so fast. And then those downpours are just so, like, um, sporadic and short. So you still climb. You climb more than you think you do. Um, But this winter has been exceptionally wet. Oh boy. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of precipitation <laughs> across the country. I mean, California with yeah. the flooding and the snow here, and I guess now apparently the raining in Chattanooga is just a lot of, a lot of water. But nonetheless, uh, we can move away from skiing and get into climbing because that's what we're here to talk about, right? And climbing and conservation and advocacy. <laughs> and yeah, like we, we got into it just a little bit, but uh, you're part of a team of a production team, a climbing media team that uh, called Steep South. And I mean, before we get into the meat of the conversation, I just want to preface that like you and your team are responsible for making two of the most beautiful climbing fills, films out there. In my opinion, oh, I mean, like, thank bar you. <laughs> none. I watched I watched one for like the twentieth time last night, and I watched uh, <laughs> the new one for just the second time last night, just to get ready for the conversation. And yeah, if I need some little inspiration for anything, for good sending footage, for just beautiful landscapes, or or topics on conservation and advocacy, like that's where I'm going. I'm watching a Steep South film. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, they're just, they're just so well done, and I think we need more films like this. And boy, yeah, just, just so impressed after watching the Denny Cove one, the first one. I didn't know who Steep South was. I just I think I just happened upon it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what's this? And it's like, holy shit, this is really good. And just kind of <laughs> took off from there. And you know, I want to get into the nitty gritty of Steep South a little bit and uh, start with on, on the about page on the website. It says something to the effect, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but um, these crags in the southeast or in the south, they deserve a voice. And that really struck mm-hmm. a chord with me when I read that because it reminded me of why I started this podcast in the first place. You know, all these advocates out there put in so much time uh, to keep uh, our crags open, stewarded, care for um, boulders as well. And they needed a platform to tell these stories. So I was like, Hey, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of climbing podcasts out there. There's not one really focused on advocacy. Like why don't I do something like this? And you know, here we are like four and a half years later. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, I kind of get like, I don't want to make assumptions. That's why you all might've started Steve South, but I just see some parallels there. So I just thought I'd, you know, provide that mm-hmm. little bit of an anecdote. Uh, so before I get carried away here and explaining what Steve South is, why don't we have you jump in and, and talk about this amazing climbing-based media that you you helped create? Sure. Um, so, so yeah, I started Steep South, Steep South because I wanted to give back to the climbing community, and I wanted to do that through my skill set of writing because I'm not I don't know, like, I'm just not the biggest fan of, like, trail days. Like, I try to go to them, but I was like, I should just focus on something I'm good at. (laughs) So I wanted to use the power of storytelling and creativity to help raise money for local climbing organizations and also just bring more awareness to, like, the issues that do happen down here, like you were saying, with private land and everything. Um And at that same time, like when I was around 25 years old, I was getting frustrated with the way the South was like portrayed in climbing media. Um, Like they always just made it such a big deal that there's climbing down here. It's like there's a town called Chattanooga and like, ooh, like the Red River Gorge is in Kentucky. And and like. (laughs) here's the difference between Southern sandstone and desert sandstone. And it's just like that type of like verbiage and descriptions just like make your eyes roll. If you live down there, you're just like, Oh my gosh, like I already know what's up. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to start an Instagram account that was like dedicated to climbing media in the Southeast um, written by someone who lived down here that knew what was up. Um, 
to get visitors psyched, but then to also make the locals proud of like the places they climb at and like have them be able to showcase their photography and their sends and create like this little community on this one account. And I was like, if it goes well, then, then I'll try to create a more bigger fundraising goal. And if it doesn't go well and I don't get followers, then I'll just like toss the idea. And lo and behold, like it just started getting like thousands of followers and like so many people were like so excited and so many professional photographers were letting me repost their photos and, And I just was like, whoa, like this is becoming (laughs) exactly what I wanted it to become, which was a pleasant surprise. And um, yeah, and originally like I wanted to make it a magazine because DPM had just gone under. Um, Rest in peace, DPM. Maybe some of these listeners don't know what DPM is, (laughs) but um, Dead Point Magazine. But yeah, so I had like a background in writing, editing and design, publishing. So I was like, oh, if if I want to make a magazine, I could totally do that. But after a few years of like engaging with my followers on Instagram, like I realized that like print media just like isn't isn't the future of climbing anymore. and, and like not a lot of people even look at the Steep South website. So, so I had a pivot and I looked more towards film work and YouTube. And that's kind of how the Filling the Void series started, like is when I realized that the best medium to engage with climbers these days, especially the younger generation, is through um, film. And what's yep. great about film is unlike written articles, um, you can have in-person opportunities through like um, fundraising film screenings, and then you can have virtual opportunities to like show these films either through YouTube or like a web link. So it also just is able to reach a larger audience. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, that's that's great points of history that I had no idea were a part of the story. It's just Instagram page, uh, a magazine before, before like the, the visual uh, component or the filming, like, so you have, you have a history in, 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 uh, or experience in writing and editing and stuff. Where did the, did you just learn how to make films on the fly? I know you're part of a team, so you have some other folks supporting that, but, uh, yeah, where did that fit in? Yeah. So I, like full disclosure, do not know how to use a camera. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I do everything except the cinematography, photography and film editing. So that was like the frustrating part was the second I realized it needed to be in a film format, I was like, oh no, now I need to like onboard some people and I have like no money. (laughs) So, um, So luckily I found some local filmmakers in Chattanooga who like were also climbers and believed in the cause and and were like yes if this if these film objectives are for helping our coalition then we will do this on a low budget um and that's that's how it came to life certainly doesn't look low budget and that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah we all worked really hard um I'm, I'm glad you think that Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I can't wait to get this this episode out to link it up for people to watch if they haven't watched it yet. What what time? What, what how long ago was this? Um, when did when did this original? When was the original idea formed around the Instagram page and the in the magazine? What year was that? I think it was 2017 is when I made the account, okay. the Instagram account, and then I think two years later. What, okay, wait. So I think so. It was like the year before COVID, we made the Denny Cove film within one year because we were. It was just easier for us to make that film in a year because we all that crag was in our backyard. Right. Um, and then the second film about Rumbling Ball took three years because of COVID and just traveling and like. Um, and budgeting and just all that jazz typical mm-hmm. for film projects. <laughs> right, um, right. 
so yeah, I think Steve South is what, like five or six years old. Um, yeah. And the film started about four years ago. I posted the first one on YouTube, I think in November of 2019. Is, is anything going to change? Yeah. With you, with you being out West now, um, is your role going to change? Are you going to keep continuing doing work for, with them? Yeah, I, I'm still like managing the account. It's still like a one woman show when it's not, when we're not filming. Um, but yeah, I want to do a third film about the red. So that's kind of like the goal and it's, and it's easy to travel to the red. I, I know so many people there. So like, you know, it just requires like a road trip or a plane ticket to then get out there and start filming. Um, so we'll see. That's the goal. Um, for anyone listening, we're looking for sponsors right now. So it kind of depends on all of that. Yeah. What, what does it, what does it take to, to make a film? I mean, with the scripting, with the people you interview, with the location, I mean, camera setup. I mean, I'm sure we can make a whole episode just on that, but is there, yeah, is there a workflow of sorts that you can paint for us? So we can better understand what actually goes into making a film like for Denny Cover Rumbling Bald? Yeah, it definitely is quite the process. Um, it's it, it it's funny because it like feels like a mega project. You know how people are always like, "Oh, the mega project!" Like this is definitely like the dawn wall of like my climbing career. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess it starts off as just like a vision, um, and then I kind of storyboard that in my head, and I talk with the coalitions to figure out the angle and just to make sure that they're like willing to be a part of it. Um, and then once that kind of gets formulated and I start to like organize who's a part of it, then I need to talk to like filmmakers. So in the first film it was, um, Rich Moore was the director of photography and the editor. And then Nathalie Dupree was the other cinematographer and the rigging specialist. So it was the three of us that worked on the first film. And then in the second film, it was me, Nathalie, and then Savannah McCauley from Salt Lake did the editing. So yeah, like once I kind of organize... the interviews and like the days that we'll be out climbing and which climbers we're featuring on which routes and, you know, just making that schedule, then it's, um, you know, then it's like film production days. And that's where I kind of take a step back and let the cinematographers work their magic. And those are like really long days from like sunrise to sunset. We're like filming the whole time. (laughs) And Um, and a lot of times my job is just to like belay the climber or like hold up a light diffuser for this bouldering footage. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm just kind of like an amateur camera assistant of sorts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then once we finish production days, um, I then look at all the film files and kind of like toss out the clips we don't need, um, and then highlight the good ones. Um, And then like in the case of Savannah editing the second film, like she didn't actually like spend time at the bald or she wasn't there when we were filming. So I also have to piece together like the files at certain seconds, like especially if we have two camera angles to like make sure the boulder problems are like, in sync um because if i just hand her a bunch of files it can get confusing for her to know which one was taken at which time Mm -hmm. so i kind of like lay that out on a spreadsheet or like a word doc explaining like show this clip before you show this one (laughs) um and then yeah so then once i send them all those all the files and the storyboard then the editor will take several months to edit the film which is probably the most like tedious and like hardest part like I definitely applaud editors like they do so much grunt work um and then while they edit 
at the same time, I'm like talking to sponsors. I'm trying to find funding. I start organizing the film screening dates. Um, I start talking to like different venues and outfitters where the film will be screened. Um, and yeah, and I'm just getting the film screenings ready. Like I'm organizing volunteers. I make sure the um, proceeds get transferred to the coalition. Um, and then once the, once that like film tour is finished, um, then it's kind of like a home run from there. Then I like write the final checks, um, to the coalitions. Um, and then I can put the film on YouTube and then, yeah. And then from there, it's like now everyone can see it. So Mm -hmm. the, the fundraising component is like, when it still can't be seen online, because then it gives people a reason to come to the screenings. Um, And then once the screenings are over with, then it goes on YouTube. How many screenings do you, what was was scheduled for Denny Cove and or Rumbling Bald? Um, Usually around like six or so. Um, The first time around, I went to every single one of them. I just was like, so psyched. <laughs> um, and then the second one, I realized how much effort that took. So I went to like three of them. And then if any other gyms wanted to feature it, I would just give them the film file and then just tell them like, Hey, make sure like you write a check to the CCC. And then, you know, I kind of like organize that with the CCC and we make sure everyone's on board with that. So it was like the same amount, but I wasn't at all of them. But yeah, a lot of like gyms get really excited to show it, which is nice. <laughs> awesome. And are those screenings all local to the respective film? Were they around Chattanooga area for the first one mm-hmm. and around uh, Asheville, I guess? I, you know, I don't know North Carolina all that well. Is yeah. it, is it, <laughs> it's, it's all by Asheville, right? Um, so they're all local respective to the film. Yeah, I would say Asheville's like the home crag of Rumbling Bald, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for the most part. Um, yeah, they're usually in the territory of that coalition, of that like affiliated coalition. Um, but we had one screening in Seattle because the REI was excited to show it out there. Oh, cool. And okay. then, like, when the Denny one came out, like we showed it at Rocktoberfest and that got a lot of hype. Um, and then we showed it at like the Chattanooga film festival later on that January. So yeah. Yeah. It's mostly like local, local film screenings. Yeah. So they're both, they're both called filling the void. It's like like their title kind of starts and it's like chapter one, chapter two for each, for each area, for each film. Where did that name come from filling the void? I can kind of put my own interpretation on it, but it's probably wrong. So Mm -hmm. why don't you, where to fill where to filling the void come from? Yeah. It just was like, I mean, I guess I just came up with that idea because, um, a lot of times like people don't know about the whole story behind what it took to get that crag to be opened up to the public. So it's kind of filling that void of like a lack of education for a lot of climbers and, and making sure that they're like aware of all the efforts that go into conservation. Um, and also filling this void of like a lack of Southeast climbing representation and climbing media in general, mm-hmm. like these two, these two crags, like other than a few five minute, like short clips from the access fund and like one older North Carolina bouldering um, film from like the early two thousands. Other than that, like, Denny Cove and Rumbling Bald like have never been professionally filmed before for climbing. That makes perfect sense. That's pretty much my interpretation of it, just filling a gap of of knowledge with 
through this kind of medium. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I was going. Like Steep South is, was filling a void by promoting Southeastern climbing through an Instagram page or, or a, it was a magazine, you know, thought at one point now it's, now it's films, but yeah, filling the void to educate people on what actually goes on here to, to open these kinds of areas and in, in perpetuity. I mean, I'm always so blown away listening to these stories about climbers spending literally millions of dollars to, to protect mm-hmm. these areas. It's, it blows my mind every single time. I still can never get over that. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Denny Cove is such a huge acquisition and, um, I remember some guy saying in the film is just kind of under their nose the, the whole time. And then they finally came mm-hmm. across it and start developing and, you know, learned who, who owned it and everything. And, and I took it from there. So it's, it's, it's quite a process. I work in land conservation myself and, you know, we just closed on a new conservation easement last week and it just, it takes years to do these things. And even when there are, um, even when there are mutual interests in the project, it could still take a really long time to get these acquisition projects across the finish line. Now, if you're a, a user group, a recreational user group versus like a timber company, like it was in the case of Denny Cove, you know, there might, it might not be starting off on the right foot right from the get go. Um, we'll get into mm-hmm. more details about each of the film, but yeah, just the, the themes of the films are, are around conservation and advocacy. Do you want to expand on that some more and, and uh, what you may have taken away from some of those folks that you talked to in the films? I wanted to merge like conservation content, which can sometimes be very dry and boring <laughs> with climbing footage that could like spice things up a bit and like engage the viewer. So by merging both of those components, we've been able to like create educational yet compelling climbing films. And yeah, that was, that was kind of the whole goal was to just like teach viewers of like the nuances and efforts that go into land access. Um, And also just like remind climbers of like the value climbing brings to like the economy and conservation and, um, and remind viewers, like we were saying before that, like the general landscape in the Southeast is very different from the climbing out West and requires just like a lot more funding and advocacy to protect these areas. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like, definitely the the goal and like the themes um and and also just like have the people that are in the film be like local inspirational badass climbers that like you know from your community like you know because sometimes um sometimes you just get a little disconnected from like professional climbers but to see someone that like actually lives in the southeast climbing in these films, I think is also just like a good thing to like have as we, you know, continue making climbing footage. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I definitely get that. uh, What would you call it? Just a homey, homey feel of, of the film. It feels very Mm -hmm. wholesome talking to to local relatable people. Not that, you know, I Mm -hmm. think climbing gets a good rap because a lot of these pro climbers are accessible. Like you can find them, you know, and have a conversation. I've shot multiple messages over social media to, to, you know, what we call a professional climber and they've gotten back to me, you know, they're accessible in a way, but kind of deviating a little bit Mm -hmm. from, from the point here. But yeah, just seeing these local folks, um, the guy, I don't know his name, one of the guys in the Denny Cove film sitting there with his kids and see other, see some climbers get together at the local brewery and just, you know, chit-chatting about how the process went along, how the project came along and over over some over some beers and the little mini mart that people are stopping into supporting local business, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the crack, you know, the, is it called Mountain Mart? Was that the, is that the name of it? Um, yeah, um, yeah, it is. <laughs> Um, sorry i've watched this film a lot so this is all like yeah i, I, know, I know you, you probably know it better than i do right now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyway just my, my point is it's it you get the you get this wholesome feel watching watching these kind of local films with local people uh working on local issues and, and matters and it's just it's so good and i can't wait for for more of them I, you, know, you are you are filling this void have you had like other <laughs> other people like reach out to you guys and and 
talk about partnerships or ways to expand or, you know, like, Hey, we wanted to do this for a long time, but we never did. And can you help mm-hmm. anything like that? Yeah, I, I definitely have, but then they don't have like a budget for us. Like that's, that's always the, the crux is, yeah. is like, Oh yeah, sure. We'd love to talk about like, um, yeah, I've had people express interest for like, telling the story of like Boone and just like the sensitive access issues there. And mm-hmm. then also like the story of the red. Um, and, and I guess when I say story, I just mean kind of from the conservation standpoint, cause like you could just go into a huge rabbit hole with all these places, but I try to focus on just like land access and protection. But, um, but yeah, but then they, you know, it's like, easy to say, oh my gosh, come film our crag, but it's harder to say, or harder to actually get a budget. So, um, so yeah, it's a work in progress and I'm hoping with like two films under our belt that it'll like make it easier for future ones. Gets, gain some notoriety and maybe catch the attention of some larger companies and, and sponsors. And, um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't imagine that that wouldn't happen if you're continuing to put the same level of effort in that you did before. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's just inevitable. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, as of now, we've only had local sponsors be interested and, and I'm still so grateful for what those local gyms and brands have done for us. And actually fun fact, the rumbling bald film are, title sponsor the riveter is a climbing gym in Asheville that um was founded by a woman and then the second um sponsor fox mountain guides is a guiding company owned by a woman so the film was produced directed filmed edited and sponsored by women climbers that's amazing good for you (laughs) yeah very cool and it was also unintentional (laughs) we're like oh (laughs) this is cool (laughs) yeah no it's good nice coincidence and shows i don't know is there is there a change in change in perception or just change in who's making these films i mean is it is it empowering more women to to do these kinds of things i hope so i think just so I've been climbing for like 10 years and even within that time frame, like I've seen just so many more women get involved with the sport. Um, like when I started steep South, like I, I don't like to talk about myself on the account. Like I like to kind of be like this vague, like narrator that's yeah, like, Ooh, who is it? Um, so like, I think it was around like the, me too movement or no it was it was something else um but for whatever reason i decided to just be like hey i am a woman (laughs) i like posted a like a post about it on instagram and all these people were like oh my god i'm so sorry that i assumed you were a man (laughs) yeah so it's like a lot of people i think are still kind of used to seeing leaders and like or like leadership roles or owners of climbing businesses be men. And it's nice to like see that that's changing. So, I mean, with your background in in writing and and editing and stuff, I mean, you're not a conservation professional, right? But, but I'm sure you've learned a lot more about access and, and conservation and in this, in this advocacy realm. Tell me more about that and what you've um, just what you've walked away with. Any any big sticking points that you've walked away with from making these two films? Yeah, so I think as like, and I've always kind of thought of myself as like an SEC climber, you know, like Southeastern Climbers Coalition, and that community is really good about like teaching the local climbers about these issues that I think a lot of climbers out West just like wouldn't even know about cause they don't even necessarily like tie themselves to a coalition or have like that community feel. And maybe, maybe I could be wrong, but even if they do, the issues are way different. It's more about like rebolting or trail days, whereas this is like, we have to spend thousands of dollars to 
buy and protect these areas. It's a different narrative. Um, so that was the only background knowledge I had from conservation was just like being a, a member of the SEC. But from that, you do learn a lot more than I think the average outdoor recreation user. Um, and I think what I've been good at in terms of conservation is like the fundraising component. Like I've learned how to get really scrappy and like creative off of a small budget um, because I, I knew I wanted to help raise money for these coalitions, but it's like, how do you do that? Um, so I've, I've learned how to like make a lot of money at film screenings from like raffles, um, from like buying or from selling merchandise, um, and like how the power of like creating a brand like steep South with the following can make people more likely to spend money on what you're selling, whether that's an event or like a fundraiser, um, because they feel this tie and connection to the brand. So I guess, my conservation skill sets have come more from like writing and branding and like marketing skill sets. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hugely important. Like you think of conservation as a, as a multi-pronged uh, tool to, you know, to protect land and take care of it. And it's not just slapping your name on, on the property and the, on the title deed to, to make it your own. It's, it involves marketing, it involves fundraising, it involves, partnership and communication it's it's so much that goes on then after it's like protected all the stewardship that that that's involved with it too and there's so many moving parts to make this stuff happen and you brought up a good point that the issues are are vastly okay yeah vastly different between the west and the east and it's not Mm -hmm. all trails and rebolting in the east and yeah, with the, with the amount of public land in, in the Western United States, yeah, we don't generally have to think about too many acquisitions. It still does happen for sure, but not at the, on the scale like it does in the Southeast or just the East in general. So you're spending a lot of time raising a lot of money from a lot of different resources to make this stuff happen. And just it's, it takes a village, I mean, a village and some to make this happen. And yeah. It's clearly communicated in the, in the films. Nice. Yeah. I'm glad it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. How much money have you guys raised for, for concert, for local conservation through the films? Um, so before the films even were made, I hosted one climbing party fundraiser through steep South, um, that raised $18,000 for rebolting in the Obed. Um, wow. and, <laughs> or sorry, oh my god, eighteen hundred. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, why is he so shocked? <laughs> um, yeah, no, eighteen hundred dollars. Um, and then the first film raised eleven thousand dollars for the Denny Cove land loan, and then the second film raised seventy five hundred dollars for the CCC's. Um, land loan that they just got for the love valley boulders so in total steep south fundraisers have raised like almost 20k for southeast climbing it's amazing yeah considering we're like a very we're a very small fish in a big pond so i i hope it's like an inspiration that like literally any climber can do this like it's not like i had credentials or like it's not like i'm an employee at the access fund. Like I just did this cause I wanted to, and mm-hmm. like anyone can do that for any sort of like organization they care about. Yeah. That's, that's very uh, empowering to know. And whether it's $10, 20, 1800 or 18,000, I mean, it all goes into the pot to, to help the cause. And mm-hmm. it might be a small fish in a big pond, but you're making some big waves in this pond, you know? Oh, so. thanks all the climbers are aware of what needs to be done. So they're more aware of like raising money or like putting money into raffles or buying film tickets like to these events. And yeah, I've never, I've never like, you know, done a fundraiser out West. I don't know if it's kind of like the same 
I don't know if you'd get the same support. I know you do, or I know like Rifle gets a lot of support when they do their um, annual fundraiser. Um, yeah, what's that? But thing? yeah. Yeah, I got a big cleanup kind the, of event, I think. The Rendezvous the or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the name of a, of a route there. Isn't it and also... They... Is it just the Rifle Rendezvous? Oh my gosh, I feel so bad that I can't remember this because I've climbed there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... Um, I, I think it might be... Yeah, I think it might be Rendezvous and it's named after the route, maybe. I don't know. I've actually only yeah. been to Rifle once. <laughs> Oh man, you live right near it. It's it's I'm near it, but like getting there is just kind of a pain in the butt. You have to go over yeah. Kebler Pass. It's like a dirt road, and it's just actually oh, takes yeah. a little I've while. Oh yeah, I've been on that road. Yeah. <laughs> you you have spent some time in Crested Butte after doing some uh, Instagram research and things. Yeah, yeah. I only spent like a few days there, but um, I did. It was during the summer, so I did like the disc golfing like down the resort mountain side which is kind of cool because usually it's only for mountain bikers but i like how crested buttes like oh here's a disc golf course for you guys <laughs> totally yeah yeah it's cool right on um all right so you raised 20k for local conservation let's get into the films a little bit i just want to hear bit more on the, the background the synopsis of of each film and you know we've gone into quite a bit like the general theme of what you wanted to do with steep south but if you can provide some more details for folks listening on what was going on with denny cove and and uh, what those conversations looked like when you're making the film with those with the local climbers and and everything so denny cove chapter one what uh, what was that film all about so i started climbing at denny cove like around the time that they opened it up to the public in 2016 and um and I was like, wow, this crag is so cool. Like it climbs, or at least the buffet wall, or it's all cool, but like the buffet wall climbs like limestone. And and I just had never experienced anything like that in the Southeast. And, and I just was like, I was climbing there all the time. And that was around the time that I knew I wanted to like do some sort of film. So um, it like was just making me sad to see that they had to raise so much money and like, and they were definitely like getting it done, but I think they had to raise like a hundred K from the land loan, which is just like a lot for climbers from like one coalition. So I was like, man, like how can I like help out? <laughs> so that's, that's how the film idea came to fruition was, I talked to the SCC and was like, Hey, if, if I made this film and then we did film fundraisers for the land loan, like, would you like, are you guys in support of that? So that's how we were able to interview Angie who's in the film. Um, which is funny. Cause like Angie was only the executive director for like a few months before then Andrea went on board. So it was funny that our film was being, filmed at that very niche time of the SCC's history um, because then by the time we were doing the events like Andrea was the one at the events um, but then um, to our for our luck like Nathalie Dupree who's like the cinematographer, um, she was good friends with all those route developers who found Denny Cove. So through her connection, they were willing to like be interviewed. And I think they probably would have been willing to be interviewed regardless, but I think that relationship definitely helped. Mm -hmm. Um, so then we talked to them and got the whole background story because because when like the access fund, the SEC were like promoting um, the land loan and like promoting the new crag, they weren't necessarily discussing like how that crag came to be about. So we were able to like give that background story. Um, and then for the climbers, like, yeah, I knew, I knew I really wanted to show like Kim Shelton cause she's like one of the strongest women climbers down here and she's so humble about it. And 
and it was awesome that she was willing to get filmed. She was the FFA on Little Tokyo, which is the route she's like um, on in the film. And then I also knew that like because Denny was newer, there was still um, potential for like like a lot of the like or not a lot, but some of the routes still only had one send on them. Um, and they were like Jimmy Webb routes. So they're just like, you know, really hard and you know, had done the second ascent yet. So then that's when I contacted Nicholas Milburn when he was still living in Chattanooga. I was like, Hey, like, do you want to get, you know, the second ascent on something? And he's like, so strong. He did his second go. That's what um, he's, Yeah, I know. I, I caught that little tidbit last night watching it. I'm like, God, 14, a second go. That's yeah. That's pretty, pretty badass. <laughs> Yeah, and it's cool because now he's like, you know, this well-known climber out in Boulder who's like projecting 515 and hopefully he'll do one soon. Like, I definitely have confidence in him. So it's cool that like he's in the film before he started that whole new part of his life. Yeah, you know, when Denny Cove was being fundraised for, I don't know what sparked the you know, lit the fire under me to to donate, but I did. I was like, I've never been here, never been to Tennessee, nice. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to throw a few bucks your guys' way because I think this is a really cool project. And, you know, I got, I got to know Zach, Les Huey, a good bit, you know, over the years and um, getting the, the podcast going and stuff. And so, hey, man, I'm going to, you know, toss you guys a few bucks. And he was super thankful for that. But yeah, something about that project just really inspired me to to donate towards it. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it was just such a big project. I think it was like, I I could be wrong, but I think at the time, and maybe still is the biggest parcel of land that the Access Fund has purchased. It was like 650 acres, something 685? like that. 685? 85, okay. Which is funny because like a lot of, um, it's, it's a pretty long cliff band. It's like a mile or so, but like, it's not like there's rock on all 600 plus acres. Like the main reason it was like bought and it was so big was to like protect this one corridor in the Cumberland plateau in order to like connect other, um, land parcels that are being conserved out there. So it, it also, Denny Cove also just plays a way bigger role in like the protection of all these different species um, in that area that just like wouldn't have happened if like that timber company had, you know, done something else with the land. That's the, thanks for clarifying that or bringing that up because someone might ask like, there cannot be. 685 acres worth of rock yeah. on the property right like why didn't you just buy the cliff band mm -hmm. or you know a little extra to be able to get to the cliff plan like but yeah. having that like more holistic view of like hey this is like a this is more of a corridor for for ecology and and such and it's a larger like kind of nature conversation around it than just rock climbing yeah and that's and that's why so many foundations and organizations like funded the the purchase like the access fund and the sec are like honestly like only like part like i wouldn't say a fraction like there's still a big influence but there were other organizations that were putting a lot of money into it it was like the nature conservancy in there i uh, I, I think no so yeah and then yeah. like and then some foundations and then others that i don't remember the names of but yeah it was it was a it was an army. It was not just climbing people. So how about chapter two, uh, Rumbling Ball, the Hickory Nut Gorge out in, uh, out in North Carolina. That one came out recently, very recently, uh, in the last month or so, I think. Um, yeah, chapter two. What was, uh, what was this one all about? So this one's a little different because in Denny Cove, the story was like already or like the mission was already completed and they just needed to finish the land loan. Whereas Hickory Nut Gorge is much more open-ended. Like it still is under threat of land development. So that film was more so that the CCC and other 
you know, other organizations, if they want to, can like use this film to help further the conversation in protecting voices in the Hickory Nut Gorge and like show the value of it because um, there's a lot of rock there. I think Mike was saying like, Mike, who's the executive director, I think he was saying um, that like 80% of the rock in Hickory Nut Gorge is still like not accessible. And it's either because they can't figure out like where climbers would park or whatnot, or private landowners don't want to sell the land or don't want climbers on their land, which is a bummer because they could make a big profit if they did. Um, and then, and then also like, I think the state park is kind of withholding some of the land from recreational use. Um, so there's like a lot of different kind of issues at play with, with the rumbling bald area. Um, so with that one, I kind of wanted it to be just a more generalized conversation of, of like the economic impact and conservation impact that climbers are providing and to visually show that so that it's more obvious what can, what the future can look like um, if these people decide to open up more areas. Yeah, I think that was a fact maybe brought up almost, I think, in, in both uh, films. There was like a, this 80% of of climbing that's like out there yeah. is just not accessible. It's just like that is a mm-hmm. really large number, like only having a quarter or a fifth rather yeah. of, of it accessible. I mean, there's so much work left to be done. Yeah, there's so much rock in the southeast and you just – you can't see all of it because of like – the trees and stuff, but there's like a lot out there that is still on sensitive like property and just like has sensitive land access issues. Yeah. There's one guest you all interviewed for the rumbling ball chapter two film. That was Laura, uh, Bodges, I think is yeah, how you pronounce her last name. Yeah. Ecologist. And I had her on the show like episode four or something like that. Like, several years ago now so when i saw her on the the film i was like oh yeah there's laura cool like you know and um she she talks about this salamander that she found Mm -hmm. again like zooming or someone else found it but yeah okay okay um well she she brought it up in the film that the salamander is super rare and only lives in this part of the world and again zooming out from just climbing this is like there's ecological uh, implications here as well of like protecting mm-hmm. these areas and you know i'm not sure if you can answer this i'm just you know kind of curious how like how climbers might impact end up impacting like a sensitive species like that like you know could could access to climbing be at risk or future access be at risk because of something like this and you know just kind of a more of a rhetorical question but you know if you have any yeah thoughts on that I think everyone would have an, a, diff- a different opinion, of course, but I think the more places are open to climbing means that they won't be threatened by land development. So I think it would help species like that mm-hmm. um, as long as like nothing's happening with like the rivers and stuff because, you know, the salamanders aren't even really going to be on the cliff faces like they're amphibians. Um, right. But what is cool about like the other species she talks about the um white iris set which is like yes yet again another um flower that is only found in the hickory nut gorge which is also just like the case for a lot of the appalachias there's so many small corridors in the appalachias and the cumberland plateau that like you won't see another species beyond a couple mile like mile radius or so um but with the white iris set it it does better when it's um when the ground around it is like um trampled on is like the wrong word (laughs) it sounds bad um i forget how she explained it but yeah it's like it needs the ground to kind of be like disturbance they need some kind of disturbance or something yeah Yeah. And then it like grows better. So it actually has been growing better now that like boulders climb and 
climb in the boulder field and like um and as long as like certain as long as boulders like stay on path and aren't just going straight into um the foliage like yeah the white iris that like kind of prefers it that way um so yeah so it blooms a lot in the bouldering areas that she mentions in the film um so that's been like kind of a nice coincidence <laughs> i've never been in north carolina and the film definitely makes me want to go explore that area some more some of the you know i looked at a couple of the roots that were featured in the film and it's just like the rock color is just gorgeous the views this, like, it was like it was like filmed at sunset too so it had a really nice ambiance to it and oh man yeah it was, looked awesome and i had mike reardon on the show was that two episodes ago um him and Kate, him and caleb from the scc so yeah i got to kind of explore the scc some more like you guys did in the first film and i got to explore the ccc some more like you did in the second film so yeah i got a taste of both and it's yeah they're just yeah doing excellent work and i love uh, how you're promoting it some more and literally like just raising thousands of dollars for, for these causes i mean you're doing doing everything right thanks yeah it's it's nice because like coalitions just don't have um big marketing budgets and what they do budget is put towards like social media and email um and yeah i guess like like one of my goals is to like show that budgeting also needs to start focusing on film work because it's it's like just as important and it's also longer lasting and and yeah, people just love visuals. So it's like a good way to promote conservation efforts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you said you wanted to do a film in the red that could potentially be chapter three. Is there anywhere else that's been on your mind outside of Kentucky or um, would you expand mm -hmm. out West? I mean, like steep West or steep <laughs> yeah. Pacific Northwest, you know, it doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but yeah. Would you ever like kind of broaden your regional perspective a bit? Um, I have some ideas for films out West, but I wouldn't like do them with steep South. Um, they would just be like different projects. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to kind of like recognize every coalition in the southeast um which is why the rgcc is just like the next big one and it would be nice to like focus on the red but yeah it's it's nice to focus on areas where there's potential for more land purchasing um so i guess that would kind of be the crags that i would try to like focus on is like where is there more land development threat and then also just like the potential for more new climbing areas it's always nice to kind of showcase new areas that haven't been filmed before so that's that'll still be like your your through line is um you know threat of development and and access um is that that's still like kind of your basis basic not basic but basis theme throughout the whole all, all, all the films you might have in mind yeah for like the filling the void ones for sure yeah perfect all right elaine well i think we could probably put a bow on this is there anything else you wanted to mention before we kind of wrap up here i know we went over a lot and um i think this is a really rich conversation you provided some great context as to why these films got made how they got made and and what impact they're really having on the ground. So anything else you want to throw out there before we, uh, before we sign off? I'd like to just kind of talk about like the, I mean, as I was kind of saying a second ago, like the potential that film work has for like climbing advocacy as a whole. Um, like what I think is really awesome is like a lot of, um, you know, like professional climbers and film brands like have helped like coalitions and like the access fund. Um, like, you know, like real rock events are sometimes fundraisers for local coalitions. And then like, I think like, like mellow climbing, which is a huge film brand these days, like just did a fundraiser for like that raised like 10 K for the access fund. So that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's cool that like these um, 
films like are helping climbing advocacy but it would be cool if like I think there's still room for improvement for the films to actually showcase it in the films like I think yeah like I think climbing media in general has a lack of that at the moment so I guess I would just hope that in the future even if it's just for a few seconds or like just one scene in a film that like there's more of a recognition of like um conservation work that went into the crags that are being filmed um and like for those listening who might be wondering like how they can play a role in this like i know so many climbers that you know love capturing drone footage or or like have a bunch of footage of their bouldering sends and if you're trying to figure out a way to help your coalition you can always consider like donating that some of that footage to them or maybe just asking for a small fee um because i think a lot of these nonprofits, um like if they are to create films in the future they won't have a big production budget to work with so so yeah even just like helping donate footage like is a huge way to help because like just the younger generation is like on youtube and on tiktok and like they're they're definitely like the more video focused generation so it's like um nonprofits and like the access fund and all these lcos are gonna have to think of ways to like promote those efforts through film but still make it interesting because like you know you don't want something too cut and dry and like <laughs> boring so it's like yeah, but I think if, if everyone gets involved, I think it's easier to to make that happen, whether the film has a big message about it or not. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you can, that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org. So check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way. And I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. And I'll catch you all next time.